Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. In the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and we bless you for this evening. We thank you for your power in our lives. We thank you for the power that is in the word. We thank you for this new series and we thank you for the mighty things that you will do in our lives through the power of your word. I pray this, this evening, Lord, that you will speak through through me in the name of Jesus. Amen. You will impact your people that they will hear what they need to hear. Amen. And that at the end of this series and even during this series, your people will find their purpose. They will be freed from shackles. They will be freed from the slavery that they might be in. And they will walk into their destiny to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to this evening's Bible class. Uh, we have finished the Kingdom Marriage series. We're moving on to Moses, Let My People Go. As it stands, today is the first day of Lent, and I will encourage anyone who is listening to observe as much fasting as they can over the next 40 to 47 days to Easter. Um, Lent is a time that we should use to reflect, to grow, uh, to cleanse ourselves, to sanctify ourselves further. And I feel that the study of Moses during these weeks of, of Lent is very timely. And it's something that um, is in the mind of God. And God has a plan for each person who is listening and for each person who is following. And I pray that his glory will be made manifest in our lives in Jesus' name. So the first chapter we're going to do is Exodus 1, 1 to the end. I'm not going to read it, but it's Exodus 1, 1 to the end, and we'll go through the sections and the principles that we can find from this passage of the Bible. But first of all, we finished uh, in January, I guess, the series of Joseph, and we finished it in Genesis 43, where, well, Genesis 41, rather, where Joseph rises to power, so he goes from prison to palace, and that's where we ended it. But quite a few things happened between that time and the time of Exodus first. One thing that happened is that the famine spread um, after the seven years of, of plenty, just like Joseph had prophesied through the Holy Spirit of God. So the famine got to where his family was and his brothers came to Egypt um, to buy food. Uh, to cut the long story short, uh, he reveals himself to them as Joseph, as the brother they actually sold. Um, he asked them to bring their father over to move the whole family over to Egypt. And the, the Pharaoh gives them a land in Egypt, the land of Gog. Goshen, and that's where they settle into. Um, Jacob moves to Egypt. Um, Jacob dies. He blesses his sons. And when he finally dies, he is buried uh, according to, I guess, his, his will. He wanted to be buried in the same place as Abraham and Sarah and Leah. Um, and what is to note um, in Genesis 49, that um, 
the mourning for Jacob was done both by Joseph and his family as well as the Pharaoh and the whole of the household and the army of Pharaoh. So we end Genesis on a real high where the children of Israel are, re, are regarded in a very high, high way um, and the, the book ends with the death of Joseph. So when we move to Exodus 1, a few hundred years have lapsed. Uh, Joseph has died. The whole generation of those uh, of his brothers have died. Um, and in verse seven, so we are in Exodus one verse seven. It says, "But the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them." So the first principle that we get from this verse is that there is a blessing that comes with obedience okay so it was it was God's plan and it was God's will that the children of Israel would end up settling in Egypt it is something that he had foretold to Abraham and he made it happen in his in his own way for his own purpose fine they ended up uh, been in slavery there for 430 years, but yet we still see the hand of God on them, blessing them, them multiplying. So that's the first principle that we can learn. There is always a great deal of blessing in heeding the word of the Lord, in doing things according to the will and to the plan of God. Now, when we go to verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king who did not know Joseph. And in verse 9, it says, And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to, to afflict them with their burdens. So a new pharaoh comes. We're not given his name. We're not told how much time has lapsed. But all that we're told is that this new powerful man came into place. And he did not know Joseph. He, he, he did not realize that all the wealth that the household of Pharaoh had actually was the brainchild of Joseph. The wealth of Egypt was the brainchild of Joseph who said, in the seven years of plenty, let us gather. And in the seven years of the famine, we are going to sell all the things that we have gathered. And in selling, um, the Pharaoh was able to, uh, to uh, acquire land and houses and animals and slaves. So this... Pharaoh did not know who Joseph was, and he saw the children of Israel as a threat. And for that reason, he decided to treat them in a harsh way. He decided to punish them, and as we read on, he decides that they should not uh, multiply, and so he wants, to, he wants their male children killed. 
So the second principle that we can get from this is that any attack from the enemy on the people of, of God is rooted in fear. There may be other things going on. However, at the root of any attack to the people of God is the fear. The enemy is fearful of who we are. Satan attacked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden because he was fearful. He felt, if I let these people do what God has commanded them to do, they're going to rule over me. And I don't want that. And the quest of the enemy is always that. He does not want the children of God to live victorious lives. So an attack will always come because of the fear that he has of me, of you, fulfilling our calling and our destiny. Now, an attack is not always somebody trying to kill you or, or someone who is jealous an attack can be an invitation to sin. That is the most subtle one and is the one that works each and every single time if people are not wary. It's not having bad dreams where people are chasing you. Yes, there is an element of that. But really, the greatest form of attack to the children of God is to make them uh, break the laws of God. Because the devil knows that once you break the laws of God, he has the legal ground to punish you. So that's principle number two. An attack from the enemy is fundamentally rooted in the fear of who you could be if only you knew. So then come the midwives. The 15th verse says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Principle number three, what the enemy will want to attack in your life is your area of productivity, is your area of rep. Of reproduction it is your area of impact a male child stands for leadership a male child stands for ownership a male child stands for the strength really to go into a female child and produce okay so an attack will always focus on your productivity, on you being able to create, on you being able to procreate, on you being able to innovate. So one of the ways that the enemy can attack you is to say, well, this is how we've always done it and this is how we're always going to do it. The devil doesn't want us to think in new ways. The devil is quite happy for us to just stick to what we know and just keep doing that all the time because he knows that there are times and there are seasons and the method that was working yes, yesterday might come today and not work. But the devil do, does not mind. The devil is quite happy for you to keep doing what you did on Monday, do it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because it's not going to work. And he knows 
that if maybe you 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 changed what you did on Tuesday, you might do more than what you did on Monday. And he doesn't want to do that. The devil will stop you from being in a place where you can procreate, innovate. He might want to keep you in a wrong relationship. He may want to push you into a wrong marriage. He may want to push you into the wrong church. He may want to push you even to the wrong job. So we have to be very careful when we feel we're making choices that are not so spiritual. The impact that they have uh, can sometimes be far more than we, we actually think. If God has called you to be an accountant, the enemy can do it so well that he just works out some way and you become a nurse. And you're nursing, you're making your money, you're fine. But the enemy knows that if this lady, if this man became an accountant, there are things that he would do for the kingdom of heaven that would shrink the, his own, own kingdom. So we have to be careful that the devil is crafty. It's not always the obvious stuff uh, that we think he uses. His biggest weapons are the hidden ones the ones that people are not even sure or do not even think is the hand of the enemy. So Pharaoh wanted to stop the productivity of the children of Israel. Principle number four is that the enemy will try and use someone on the, on the inside. So when I used to read this, I used to think that the midwives were Egyptians, where actually they're Hebrews. So the enemy, so Pharaoh used people on the inside. He wanted to influence people on the inside to, um, to further his aims, to further his goals. But the midwives were loyal. Pharaoh could have killed them. Um, and Pharaoh could have said, well, if you want me to do this, this for you, if you want me to do that for you, uh, just kill the male, the male children and I'll give you this, I'll give you that. So there's a loyalty that the midwives had that led them really to change the course of history. Because, and as we see, we are not given the name of the king of Egypt, but we're given the name of the midwives. And what that tells me is that in the mind of God, the midwives matter far more than uh, the king of Egypt in this um, episode. The enemy will always want to use someone on the inside, whether it's a family, whether it's a church, whether it's a workplace, whether it's anything. And it is very vital that if you're part of something, your loyalty has to be in it. There's no point in not being loyal to your family, not being loyal to your church, not being loyal to your workplace not being loyal to your friends or anything uh, that you're working on because the enemy will use you as the weakest link. We must train ourselves to be loyal and give ourselves, give our everything to a cause. If we feel it's something that we don't want to be, be part of, then it, it is better to not be part of it than to be, be a part of it and be half and half. If we look at... Um, Jesus with the, with the 12, they got to Jesus through Judas. And I know people say, oh, there's always going to be a Judas. Well, yes and no. You 
decide. You can be that Judas, or you can say, the devil is not going to use me. I'm going to be loyal to this person, to this course, to this church, to this workplace, to my family. So the enemy will always want to try and use someone that is on the inside. But we have to make sure that the devil cannot use us. That the devil cannot push us to either sin uh, or stop doing the right things we're meant to be doing. So it means we need to have our hearts in line with the mind of God and not be swayed by the things of the world. Because the midwives could have said, well, if we do what the Pharaoh says, maybe we're going to get placed in a different place to all these Hebrew um, people and we'll have better lives. And as we see um, later on in the 17th verse, we are told, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but saved um, the male children. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and saved the male children? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dwelt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he pro provided households for them. So here, the Pharaoh sees that his plan is not working, his strategy is not working. These people are still growing, they're prospering, what is going on? So he calls the midwives and said, but I thought we had a deal, I thought that you were going to do this. And really what the midwives did there, they lied. Okay, they lied to the Pharaoh. And I think this is probably the only uh, lie in the whole of the Bible that is justified. A lie that is that gets them a reward from God because they dwelt shrewdly. Now, what they said, they said that the Hebrew women gave birth quickly. It is not entirely true, but it is also not entirely false. I'm pretty sure there would have been a few women who really did give birth quickly, but the bulk of them would have given birth the normal way. But what the, what the midwives weighed up here was the, what is the worst of two evils? Do we, do we say, well, we just felt that we don't want to kill people and the pharaoh would kill us and if he brings new midwives in, would they be as loyal to this cause as we are? Okay? So they used their wisdom and really spawned something to Pharaoh that really was in the area of expertise and that he couldn't really um, question. Now, many people have made a doctrine out of this passage. Many people have made a doctrine out of this passage or that we give birth like the Hebrew women. It is fine and it is great to pray it as a prayer, but just as... Um, a point to note. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing unbiblical. There's nothing that makes a woman any less of a woman if she gives birth by C-section. 
all manner of things have been taught and people have lost their lives. People have lost children off of the back of teaching based on this passage. Yes, it is better to give birth naturally. It is always the best way. But at times, it's not possible. And one must always look to preserve the life of the mother and the life of the children. Not all of the Hebrew women gave birth quickly. Some of them did, some of them didn't. So please let us bear it in mind uh, when we cancel our women, um, families. Please, by the mercies of God, let us save the lives of our women and of our children. Now, in verse 20, we're told, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied. Now, God dealt well with the midwives. Principle five is that there always is a re reward for what we do. We can either get it from God or we can get it from man. They left, they gave up whatever it is that they could have gotten from the king of Egypt and they held on to God and God gave them families of their own. What would have happened if they had killed uh, the, male, the male children when it came the time for them to also have their own children, their own children would also be killed. So what they did really in saving other people's children and other people's um, families, they also saved their own. When we are loyal to other people, we are not doing it for that person or for the cause or for the church per se, but we're really doing it for, for our own selves. We are, we are sowing seeds for the future and we're giving God a reason to bless us. But if they had gone the other way, um, they would have given God a reason to withhold the blessing from them. Principle number six, again, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. Whenever there's an attack of the enemy and the people continue to obey God, if we continue to obey God, there will always be an increase and there will always be growth. There will always be a multiplication. It might not look like that to you because you're looking at everything that is going wrong or that could go wrong. But really what the enemy sees is that as much as we've tried to bring this person down, as much as we try to bring this church down, as much as we've tried to bring the family down, they are still standing. They are prospering. And you might feel, oh, what is going on? Oh, this, oh, that. But really what the enemy sees, he sees people that he, he, that he cannot harm, that he cannot touch. And in the end, Pharaoh in verse 22 says, so he com commanded all his people. So rather than, you know, trust the midwives, he said, well, we've got to take these matters into our own hands. And he said, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save. Principle number seven, which is the last one for this evening, is that the pronunciation of the enemy really is what makes a way for God. The reason that I say that is, he says, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river. And we are told in chapter 2, as we go, that 
Moses was born and he was put into a basket and he was put into a river, into the water. And the water brought that child, brought Moses to the, to the house of um, Pharaoh. So what the enemy meant for evil, really God turned around for good for his own people. So we should really not be scared about the pronunciation of the enemy or the plans of the enemy or what they're thinking, what they're saying, what they're doing, because God has already in, invented the very thing that will undo all of their plans. So whatever you are facing, God has got it sorted out. Whatever it is that they've devised, whatever it is they've made up, whatever it is that they've, cre that they've created, God has got a way to bring down every single plan that they have and to make his own will stand. The daughter of Pharaoh was doing uh, fertility rites, right? So what, one of the things they used to do is when they wanted children and someone was looking for children, what would they do? They would go into the river and they would bath. And they thought that in that way, God would bring a child to them. The gods would bring a child to them. And Pharaoh had, had not thought that actually, um, if you cast a child into a river on its own, he might drown. But if you put it in a basket, the water can just keep him floating and keep him going. And because God is bigger than the enemy, God pushed the current to take that child exactly where he wanted to, to have him. So God put someone on the inside and he used the pronunciation of the enemy to bring that to come to pass. So really what I get from this chapter for myself and for anyone who is listening is that, look, nobody can hold you captive. Nobody can stop the work of God in your life. Nobody is bigger than God. God is bigger than everybody. The job that we have is to listen to him. Even in the things that we feel don't make sense or, well, it's only a job. Well, it's only a house. It's only a church. I can go to different churches. I can work in different places. I can live in different houses. I can make my own choices. Yes, you can make your own choices. However, your own choices may not always lead you to the best of God. And one of the issues with Christians is that we are very easily pleased. Very easily pleased. Once we've got a nice job, a bit of money, nice house, nice car, we can go on holiday, we're healthy, we're fine. We're not thinking the big things that God has in mind. We're not thinking that God may actually want to take over the house of Egypt and set his people free. And the more we think in this way, the easier we will find it to heed to the warnings of God because we will actually start to see that there is a bigger picture, there is a bigger motive. I am part of a puzzle and if I don't do things the right way, there are some other things that are just not going to work. It doesn't matter how big you are, it doesn't matter how tiny you are, whether you're gifted, whether you are not gifted. You are an important part of the kingdom. Don't look at yourself in the human way but look at yourself from the eyes of God. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And always trust 
that he has got it all to hand. And my prayer for us this evening, I pray that God will give us the fortitude to, um, to rest in him, to trust in him, to follow him, and that he should silence the enemy, that he should give us a heart to heed to his word, that his glory may be made manifest in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name I have prayed. Amen, amen, amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.